Are you well? Clinging to Jesus? Hanging on to the cross? We're getting to a really fun passage of Scripture this morning, so I'm kind of excited. I, I got up. Now, I don't know, you know, it's, as you get a little older, I've noticed there's some things that you probably shouldn't do. And one of them is not be too joyous in the morning. Uh, I found out this morning that, that I, I can't just pop out of bed and just thank you, Jesus, and raise your arms over your head because it results in you being on your knees with dogs licking your face. It's like I, I got up and stretched. I'm like, yes, it's morning and I'm ready. And oh, that's the ground coming up. But I was praising Jesus as I went down. So, kind of one of those funny things that you're just like, hmm, how did that happen? Turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 18 in a study that I've entitled, Just Crazy About Jesus. Amen? You know, it is very interesting to me when I study and, and of course, have taught uh, Bible college, world religions, and, you know, we've done all these cult things and intelligent design and creationism and all of these things, that at the end of the day, it boils down to Jesus. There is no argument that can cause someone to become saved. There is no scientific proof specifically for God. There is no scientific proof against God. There is no way to just from a purely scientific, intelligent position come to faith in Christ. It can't be done. But the flip side is also true. You cannot scientifically disprove God. You cannot scientifically say that there is no reason to believe in God. God has left enough mystery in our universe to leave a hole big enough for Him. God has left enough things unsaid for us to never have all the answers from just intellect. Ultimately, you must believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. It's not by convincing argument. There are plenty of convincing arguments, but it is not the argument alone that brings salvation. You cannot talk someone into being saved. That is faith that does that. Because if you could talk someone in, they can be talked out. If there is an intellectual way to come to Christ, then that means that there are some people that could never find the Lord, and it becomes works. And so this morning, just crazy about Jesus. I hope you're going to be challenged. I hope you're going to be encouraged. I hope you'll be enlightened. Uh, I pray that the message this morning will speak some truths into your hearts because your faith, family of God, if you're here this morning, you have scientific faith and reason all working together. If you're one of those people that's bent towards the intellectual, there's plenty of reasons to believe in Jesus. But you'll never come to just one reason that's enough. You always need the component of faith. You will always need the cross of Christ. You will always need the cross of Christ. And the cross of Christ is foolishness to the world. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we offer up your word back to you for you to speak to us, God, let me not get in the way this morning. Lord, help your word to speak clearly and loudly truth into our lives. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's struggling with intellectual reasons for why they do not believe, God, that you'd set them free. And Father, I pray if there are people this morning that believe they don't have enough intellect to be saved, that you'd set them free. Father, it is by faith that we are saved. And we pray that the message of the cross 
and would come through loud and clear. Speak to us, we pray, through the powerful, amazing, wonderful word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 18 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And he goes on now to say, and remember last time, there shouldn't be any division in the church. There shouldn't be any division in the message. There is one central message. That message is the message of the gospel. It is the gospel of Christ that saves. That happens to us by faith. It's not pure reason. And so now he goes on to say, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Have you ever wondered why people cling to their thing so tightly when you present the message of the gospel? And it doesn't matter what it is, quite frankly. It could be power. It could be passion. It could be possession. It could be intellect. It could be science. It could be law. It could be anything you can imagine. Have you ever wondered why people cling so tightly to those things that they say, well, I'm too smart to believe. I am an agnostic with an Oxford accent. I just can't. There's too much scientific evidence for me to believe, you know. Have you ever wondered why people with a lot of money cling to money? Because I have all that I need. Why do I need your God? Have you ever wondered why people engaged in sex and drugs and rock and roll cling to that? Well, I'm having too much fun to need your God. I don't need Jesus. I've got all these girlfriends, all these boyfriends, I've got plenty of cocaine, I've got all that I need right now. Here's why. Because they have invested the substance of their life in that God. That God is, at this point in time, their God. Do not think for a moment that some simple words are going to pull their hands off of that God that they cling to. It is going to take a work of God through faith in God to remove their hands from that God. Simple argument won't do it. As a matter of fact... You are confronting their God, so they're going to get, guess what? Upset. They're going to become angry. They're going to rebut the things that you say. They're going to have an answer. And that answer may well have, from their perspective, some merit. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. When you tell them you're saved by grace through faith because Jesus died on Calvary's cross, was buried in the grave, stayed three days, was raised from the dead, and then was seen by thousands of people, and now is in heaven with God. When they hear that message, they're going, you are nuts. Because after all, Jane Goodall says we came from chimps. I see it on the Discovery Channel. It's in National Geographic. I just took five classes in college, and every one of them said, there is no God. You see, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But, to us who are being saved, and that's the ongoing work of sanctification, you're saved by believing, but the process, you can call it being saved, or will be saved, or in the process of hearing that message. To those who are saved and being saved and being sanctified and having that work go on in their life, to us, no matter what stage you're in, whether you're a babe in Christ or a senior saint, to us, it's the power of God. It's the most powerful thing in the whole universe. It's the message of the cross that saves. It's not force of argument. It's not, well, you know, we've proven this or proven that or disproven this or disproven that, though all of those things have a wonderful place in the mix of what we call apologetics, defending our faith. 
and I'll share some more on those things in a bit. It is the gospel that saves. And to the world, you folks, I am, we are as a church, the church in general is a bunch of kooks. They think we're nuts. They hear the message of the cross and they're going, you are out of your mind. Hallelujah, for the sake of Jesus, amen. It's true. We're being saved, have been saved in the process. It is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise And I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. At the end of the day, every weapon fashioned against him will not prosper. No intellectual argument, no philosophical argument, no scientific argument. There will never be an argument that disproves the cross of Christ and the existence of God. God always has a way of winning the last conversation. That's why people who cling to those arguments often die in misery. Filled with thoughts of, I don't know where I'm going. The cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. The Greeks at this time valued wisdom really above most all things. And so if you were dealing with a Greek audience, it was the force of oration. It was the argument itself presented in such a logical way that the steps of logic followed a conclusive point. And by the time you got to the end of it, you just didn't have any choice but to believe whatever they said. There are a lot of people that still try and function that way. Well, I've got this, and 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 and at the end of it is the force of reason. You can't be saved that way, and you can't disprove God that way. Both are true. Because in there is that little tiny mix of faith and reason. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. It takes faith to believe Some people it's just argument. Some people it's just wisdom. Some people it's just intelligent. But his word declares to us that ultimately there isn't an argument. You're not going to stand with God someday. You know, I've I've listened to the arguments of men like Carl Sagan, who is now, I'm sure, understanding fully that he was wrong. Well, if there's a God, I have some words for him. That's one of his famous statements. If there's a God, I have some words for him. Um, No, you won't. You're going to feel about that big. Infinitesimally small compared to an all-knowing God. I think sometimes we need to listen more to maybe some common sense or just, you know, cowboy reason. There's a young man named Chuck from Montana who bought a horse from a farmer, and he bought him for $100. And the next day, the farmer called him up, and he says, I have some bad news for you. The horse died. And he said, well, ship me the dead horse. And he said, well, why? He said, I'm going to auction him off. He said, you're going to auction off a dead horse? He said, yeah. Two bucks a ticket, going to sell 500 of them. He called him back in a couple of months, and he said, so whatever happened with the dead horse? He said, well, I sold 500 tickets, two bucks a piece. He said, I made $998. He said, well, what did you tell everybody? He said, I didn't. And the one guy who bought the horse, I told him the horse was dead. Gave him his money back. He, he now works for the government. Some people it's just reason. Some people it's just logic. You know, it, it, it becomes an intellectual thing. Well, I don't know if I can believe in God because, you know, I just, man, it's just it's a faith thing. People have stumbled over faith since day one. 
Intellect can't save, debating can't save, knowledge can't save, origins can't save, science can't save, birthright can't save, America can't save. The cross of Christ is all that can save. It's his blood shed for you on Calvary's cross. That's why Paul said, I have come to preach the gospel. It's what he said in verse 17. He didn't say, I've come to argue. He didn't say, I've come to give you a book so that when you read it, you know, you just go, wow, <laughs> I, I know I have to believe now. Though there is plenty of reason to believe. That's why Paul would say that I am not ashamed, as he wrote to the Romans. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not dissuaded from preaching to you the cross of Christ out of fear or shame. It's the gospel that's going to save you. Family of God, sometimes we're very forceful with our arguments from creation science. I have a tendency to be that way. I admit it readily. Are we as forceful with the gospel of Christ? Because that's what saves people. There is no other name under heaven whereby you may be saved. It is at the name of Jesus that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. There is no other name under heaven whereby men may be saved. Those are plain statements. They don't need to be defended. There is no argument for or against them. They're the statements of the gospel. You simply need to make them. There isn't an alternate way. Quite frankly, there are two roads. That's why Jesus said, there's one that broads, that's broad that leads to destruction, and there's one that narrow that leads unto righteousness. There's one that leads to heaven, and one that leads to hell. There's only two roads. There's no middle ground. There isn't, well, you know, when I get there, I'll, I'll change my point of view. I've had people share that with me. Well, when I die, and if I get there and there's a God, then I'll, I'll believe in Him. Family of God, it's too late at that point in time. You don't get an opportunity to change allegiances after you take your last breath. You get this life to make that decision. And if you do not make that decision, if you do not believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, resulting in you being saved, then you will be damned when you take your last breath. That's the two places. That's it. That's why when people say, well, you know, I think that everybody who believes anything about God will one day be in heaven. That is a lie of the enemy. You don't have a choice to pick how you're going to get to heaven. And to other religions, it's foolishness. People say, well, there's 1.6 billion Muslims. You mean they're all going to perish? Without Christ, they'll perish. There are 1.4 billion Hindus. You mean without Christ? Yes, without Jesus, they will perish. You mean all the atheists and agnostics that have put all their time, effort, and energy into building their intellect that they can't be saved. Without Jesus, you can't be saved. It's foolishness to people who are unsaved. It doesn't make any sense. It seems too narrow. But narrow is the way that leads unto life. Why do you think in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus said there, that it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich or a full man, an abundant man, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why do you suppose he said that? It wasn't because there was something wrong with being rich. The problem with being rich is it becomes a substitute for the cross of Christ. And without the cross, you can't be saved. And so if you're trusting in the riches, you're trusting in the intellect, you're trusting in anything other than Jesus, you'll perish eternally. People don't like that message. They hate that message. That message is a stumbling block. It was to the Jews. It is to many people, if not most today. 
But we can't change it. It says what it says. And it means what it says. And God forbid if the church changes its position on the issue of the cross of Christ and we're wrong. When we mess with the gospel of Christ, we're messing with the only way of salvation that we know of. And notice he says in verse 19, For I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate, it says in the NIV. He's saying the wisdom of the wise ultimately comes to nothing. You see, he begins to address a few groups of people here. And first he starts talking about those who cling to intelligence. Family of God, at one point in time in my life, I was in this group. I believe from one class that I took in college, I believed that God had, in essence, been disproved. That evolution was the methodology whereby humankind got on this earth. The problem is, is that I was taught a religion in college. I was made to believe in a belief system in college. And there was no proof then, and there's no proof now, that those are the only ways that mankind could have gotten here. Great intellect says, here's the best we can do. These are the things that we know. A vast majority of what is believed to be truth by most people today with regard to, in, to the design of our universe, and most scientists now believe it is so intricately designed that it could not happen by random chance. That's the current state of science. But they still leave out God while even searching for evidences of a God particle. They're outside on the Franco-Swiss border. There exists right now uh, the Large Hadron Collider. It's a 17-mile ring of electromagnets, and they're accelerating particles, physical particles of the component parts of atomic matter, the very smallest things that we know about in the universe. And they're trying to get them up to nearly the speed of light and smash them into each other. And what they're looking for there, by the way, that project cost a little over $9 billion to build. It's the largest scientific instrument that's ever been constructed by mankind. The reason that it got built is there's no explanation for what holds matter together. They're looking for the, the, the Higgson-Boss particle. I think it's Higgs-Boson particle. It's this particle. It's commonly known as the God particle. They're looking for something that, in essence, allows for us to understand how anything has mass. They haven't found it. They keep saying, well, we're going to find it. Theoretically, we think we might have found it. We kind of know that there's something there. Your Bible plainly states that all things were created by Him and for Him, and without anything, nothing was created and that all that was created was created specifically for Him. And that by Him, Jesus, all things consist. So while they're looking for the God particle, God's already said, I'm it. I am what holds the universe together. I'm the reason that massive amount of chaos that happens in the universe doesn't destroy the entire universe. There's evidence to be sure, but there isn't a specific thing that someone can point to and go, okay, this one thing disproves God or this one thing proves God. There will always be an element of faith, and that faith leads you to the cross of Christ. You see, part of the problem with the people at this time, and the same thing exists today, that we start putting evidence, in essence, on the Evidence that is there or is not there. And pretty soon it becomes nothing but an intellectual argument for or against. 
I know people that believe that they're saved because they believe in intelligent design. And yet they don't believe in the cross of Christ. I know people that believe they're saved because they believe in creationism, but they don't believe in the cross of Christ. Family of God, there's no argument on either side that can get you saved. Period. It still takes the cross of Christ. And without it, you're not saved. People don't like to hear that. That's what the Bible plainly states. It's not by force of argument. It's not by reason. It's not by your scientific evidence. And of course I happen to believe that when you study science, you're going to bump into God 100% of the time. Every road leads to God. Just like that large Hadrian Collider that sits there on the border of France and Switzerland points to God. So does astrophysics. We're out there looking for planets right now, and you see them every single week. It seems like there's a new planet that got discovered, and it might have some frozen water on it. And consequently, there could be life. Family of God, the mathematical probabilities of life happening by random chance are so extreme, they've been deemed absolutely improbable. They can't happen. To some degree, your body is a mass of chemicals. That's all it really is in a physical sense. You're made up of amino acids and proteins which turn into cellular systems and all of the rest of the functioning parts of your body. But the mathematical odds of even a, a green algae happening by chance, there has not been enough time since the supposed beginning of the universe to create a single algae by chance, much less human beings. So the evidence is very clear that the evidence that science clings to as the reason for the non-existence of God isn't there but it also doesn't prove that he is there. It just proves he's a better reason to believe than the scientific evidence. So it leaves you needing Jesus. Praise the Lord. And so he says, I'll frustrate them. One of the things that's been so fun for me of late is the frustration that exists in the scientific community. I love it. They keep running into dead ends. Evolution, and I'm talking about macroevolution, the larger picture of evolution, has been largely abandoned as a cosmology and a cosmogony. In other words, a reason for the existence of the universe and all life that exists in the universe. It's largely been abandoned. Because you can't get there from there. It doesn't work. The final postulation of all of it comes up empty. You look at all the evidence and you go, well, we kind of got close, but we sure didn't get there. And so all of a sudden we're left with all of this scientific evidence and his volumes upon volumes of books and we still keep looking. As you look at the amounts of human effort, energy, and intellect that have been put into trying to disprove God, and yet God has not been disproven. Matter of fact, the more studying we do, the more we realize there's, there's something missing. Who is it? What is it? How did it get there? The most common reason now for life existing on this planet, believe it or not, the one that makes the most sense that most people are now following is aliens came here and imparted life to this universe, to this planet. Somehow they brought some technology or some basic biologic function because it is so improbable that we got here by chance, by lightning striking a pond somewhere. A pool of goo began to split in infinite ways, and all of these systems that make up your body somehow sat out there in space for billions of years. And all of a sudden, poof, people. The monkey demand thing. It's so improbable, they realize it can't happen. Now they're going, it must have come from somewhere else. That's why they're looking out in the universe, trying to find another place in the universe that maybe life could have happened. 
And they came down here and planted the seeds of life. That's another way of saying, we ain't got a clue. Ultimately, we don't have the answers. Praise God, you'll never have those answers. It leaves the door open for the cross of Christ. How did I get here? You ever wondered how how so many of the great scientists of all ages have ultimately come to at least be deists, believing in God? It's because ultimately they don't have all the answers. I wonder if God did that on purpose. You don't have to wonder. His Bible says that's exactly what he did. Verse 21. Now, if you'll pick up with me. And since God in his wisdom saw that the world would never find him through human wisdom. That's verse 21 from the New Living, New Living Translation. He has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. God has seen to it that we have enough things to keep us occupied and looking, but also that we will not ever be able to turn to science for either, either the proof of or the disproof of the existence of God. And consequently, his plan of salvation. It's by design it is that way. People often say, well, you know, we're just, we just need more time. We just need more. You will never have enough time. It won't happen. Scripture says it's his plan to leave enough things up in the air that you won't be able to have conclusive proof either way. Leaves the door open for faith. It looks like an absurdity, quite frankly, to the high and mighty, the intellectual. That's what it does. That's why when you look at our universe, the universe is comprised of 99.23% nothing. Zip. Nada. Nothing. There's nothing out there. It's mostly nothing. And yet when you look up in the night sky, that isn't what you see, amen? There's a transcendent God that lives outside of that space, time, energy. That holds it all together. And yet a vast majority of what you see is literally nothing. It's nothing but empty space. And so we're trying to find, well, how did we all get here? God said in the beginning, He created the heavens and the earth. And before he did that, it was void and was in essence nothing. In other words, ex nihilo, out of nothing, he created the universe as we know it. It's interesting that most of what's left is still nothing. It's because he created it out of nothing. He gave us just enough of the things we do see to make us wonder, how did this get here? Do you know how many astronomers have looked up in the sky? Do you know how many physicists have looked at our natural world? How many biologists have begun to tear it apart? How many chemists have done the same? How many mathematicians have struggled over the things that exist in our natural world and ultimately gone, there's no way to get to a conclusion but God. And when you get there, you're now open to faith. How do I know Him? How do I believe in Him? How do I, how do I assume that He is who He is and says the things He says? I'd encourage you, uh, a, a classic that we have everybody read in our Bible college, and, and as you're studying one of the great books, the, the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, uh, in that book there's a passage and it reads this way, the evangelist who is one of the the characters in that is speaking to Christian and after Christian's encounter with worldly wise men, this other character, and it says this, he says, I will show thee who it was that deluded thee. That man that met thee is the one worldly wise man, and rightly so is he called, for partly because he savoreth the only doctrine of this world, and therefore he always goes to the town of morality, to church and partly because he loveth that doctrine best, for it saveth him from the cross. 
You see, that's what happens when you cling to the things of the world. If you can trust in the world, if you can trust in intelligent intelligence, if you can trust in science, if you can trust in philosophy, if you can trust in vanity or money or pleasure, if you can trust in anything else fully and completely enough, then you don't need the cross of Christ. Why do you think the enemy of your souls works so hard to help you trust in anything but the cross? Satan's plan has always been to thwart the cross. That's what he's tried to do. You believe in what? You ever had somebody say that to you? I have. Hundreds of times. You believe in what? That this cat Jesus came to earth, he was God in human flesh, and and he walked around for 32 years and hung out with a bunch of dorks? And and they all became disciples and apostles and you know and there and that and that's how the gospel got and the gospel is Jesus died. You mean the King of the Universe died on the cross and then was buried in the grave? And are you crazy? Uh huh. Out of my mind for the sake of Jesus, because there isn't any other explanation that ties it all together. He goes on in verse 22, for the Jews request a sign. And now you kind of have the hyper-spiritual side of it. There are people that all roads lead to heaven. There are people, well, you know, if he just did more miracles. If you can do a miracle for me, I'll believe. If you can do some really cool spiritual things, like if you can make my car float in the parking lot. If you can somehow increase the amount of money in my bank account overnight, I'll believe. If you can give me a magic wallet that every time I pray it fills up with cash, I'll believe. If you can just give me a sign, I'll believe. You know what? There aren't going to be enough signs for you to believe either. You're still going to need faith in Jesus Christ. For the Jews request a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. Whether it's miraculous things, or whether it's philosophical and mental things, or whether it's provisional things, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. The Jews are going, hey man, we got a temple. We got the world's oldest monotheistic religion, and we have a temple. Beat that. We got the, we have the first church that actually believed in Jehovah God. 114 generations of my kinfolk have gone to that church. We've sat in the same pew for all that time. Pew. I'm taking artistic license. We've been going up on that hill forever. And before that, we even had a portable church. Tabernacle in the wilderness. Just like the In-N-Out truck. (laughs) You see, people cling to everything but the cross. Oh, well, our church, I mean, we have statues. And we have stained glass. And our pews hurt so bad, you've got to be saved to sit in them. (laughs) Coffee in the sanctuary? Blasphemy. (laughs) Because we're more holy than that. And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm trying to tell you, that's what religion does, amen? It's what it does. My church is better than your church. My spirituality is deeper than your spirituality. And so we've got to be the saved group. No, it's not about church either. There isn't a specific church that gets you saved. There's not a specific group of people that gets you saved. It's not by heritage or lineage that you're saved. It's the cross of Christ. 
to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. It's always been about Jesus. There hasn't ever been another way. The world doesn't like to hear that message. Your friends won't like to hear that message. Your family won't want to hear that message. That message is an affront to them. It's foolishness to them. It's craziness to them. You go to church how many times? What a waste of time. I mean, after all, the football game and the parties that you're missing out on and the stuff that you could do and you do you what you give to the ministry for the furtherance of the God. Are you crazy? Do you know how what you could do with that cash? You could have a motor home. <laughs> it's foolishness. The world looks at it and goes, What are you doing? And Jesus says, there is no other name. There is no other way. And you can either care about what's going on so much so in the here and now that you miss eternity. Or you can get a glimpse of the glorious things that God wants for you that are largely based in eternity. This is as bad as it gets, folks. This that we go through here on this earth, as wonderful as it is, is as bad as it gets for us. We look at life on this earth and sometimes we're like, oh man, I can't believe I have to go through that. Every time the enemy puts those thoughts in your mind, just remember heaven. That's why Dave taught on it a few weeks ago. That's why we looked at it in the book of Hebrews. This world's not your home. And that doesn't make any sense to people either. You see, the fullness of the gospel also provides the promise of the gospel which is this is not the end of things. In all of that nothingness that exists in the universe, there is a God who loves you, who desires to spend time with you, who has revealed himself to this world through Christ Jesus' his Son and is waiting to receive you unto his own. To the world, they're like, wow, you're deluded. That's crazy. Trust me, it isn't as crazy as believing that you came from a pool of goo. It's not as nuts as believing that somehow monkeys turned into people. You talk crazy, that's crazy. That's nuts. That is the type of thing that when you follow it to its end conclusion, you come up to a brick wall called truth. And no matter how many times you butt your head against it, you're not getting through. Because that wall's God. And he says, never will they come to disprove me. You get a lot of different reactions. Foolishness, craziness. Why? Because you're messing with their God. You're messing with their life. You're messing with their sense of self. You're messing, in essence, with their belief system. You're messing with their self-sufficiency. You are messing, in essence, with all that they are. Because most people realize, I am not my possessions. Most people realize it's not my intellect that defines me. Almost all people believe in some substance of soul. And by the way, that's another perfect reason to believe in God. Because science hasn't been able to figure that one out yet either. You have an immaterial, a non-material soul. There's no explanation for storage of thoughts. Chemicals do not store information unless you organize them. And that organization takes energy and information being inputted. Scientific. But you have a soul. People without Jesus believe that for the most part. You see, it's the fact that they don't want to understand their sinfulness that makes people really upset. They don't want to understand that they're not in the center of God's will. That there is a God, and that God owns them. We want to own ourselves. We want to be the masters of our own destiny. 
We want to have the final say. The problem is you don't. You never have and you never will. The one who created you holds that right forever. The question is, will you receive the only way that he has made to have a right relationship with him? Or will you cling to the things that keep people from having a right relationship with him? Now, does this mean that you can't have wealth? Absolutely not. Does it mean that you shouldn't seek to be intelligent? Of course not. Is the study of philosophy somehow sinful? No. But if it becomes a replacement for the cross of Christ, you're in trouble. That's why Jesus said what he said about easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You see, the eye of a needle was a little tiny gate in the middle of a big gate. That's what it was. Big, huge gate that both doors could be opened and a whole caravan could pass through. But in the bottom of a very large gate, usually on one side or the other, if it were a two-leaf gate, was a little gate called the eye of the needle. And the only way for a camel to go through that was for a camel to get on its knees. And camels don't get on their knees easily, and they sure don't move. It required humility. It required that that camel have trust. It required prodding to get that camel through the gate. Holy Spirit does that. You you, you see, when you think of it that way, then you realize it wasn't that he was saying a rich man couldn't get there. He was saying it was really hard because a rich man probably won't ever humble himself. A person full of himself won't humble himself. A radically intelligent person may not humble himself because the cross is foolishness. The cross doesn't have an intellectual spin to it. Is there evidence? Oh, yes. Yes, there's evidence that that points directly to the hand of a mighty God. There's evidence. There's more evidence for the existence of Jesus than any other person in antiquity. You don't have to worry about those things. But that won't save you. It's a cross that saves us. It's his blood that saves us. By his death, his burial, his resurrection. And so he says, whether you're a sophie, that's an intellectual or a philosopher, or a dunatoy, that's someone who's a politician or someone who's powerful, or you're a eugenius, that person that's who's of noble birth, you're, you're just part of that part of society, of all of those groups of people. Any one of them can be saved, but all of them will be saved the same way. By the cross. Charles Spurgeon, at the end of his life, said this. He said, I expect to be amazed by three things when I first arrive in heaven. I'll be delighted to find those who are actually there. I'll be shocked to note who isn't there, whom I assumed would be. And I will be speechless at the wonder as I realize the grace of God. That's the cross. It's his gracious provision for our sinfulness. It's why we have to be clear about it, folks. If you, if you need a few books, Man's Origin, Man's Destiny by A.E. Wilder Smith. Lee Strobel's Case for a Creator. Evidence that demands a verdict too by Josh McDowell. You can pick those up and there's more than enough evidence for you to go, wow, there's a hole that's left in this world and it can only be filled by one person and that's Jesus. There's plenty of evidence. But don't let the searching for the evidence become a God. Verse 28 and 29, I'm going to wrap this up this morning. For God chose the despised things of this world, the things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, so that there can never be anyone who boasts in the presence of God. That's like the Calvary Chapel pastor's motto. Like makes no sense. Made no sense for the disciples, the apostles. All of the all of the great orators of the world, I'm sure, could have gone toe to toe over 
many intellectual things with the apostles. They probably wouldn't have been able to talk about nuclear physics at that point in time. Astronomy or mathematics, that that wouldn't have mattered. But they could glory in the cross of Christ. And it ends this way, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom from God, the righteousness, the sanctification, and the redemption. Notice none of those things are intellectual. The righteousness, the sanctification, and the redemption. That's what's important to your eternity. Intellect, not so much. Philosophy, not really. Amount of money you have isn't going to matter. Whether you rightly discerned the God particle or not won't matter. But you better be righteous. You will be sanctified. And you for sure must be the redeemed of the Lord, for only they can say I. That as it is written, let he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Amen? You're here this morning, and you have never professed faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to have some folks up front who would be willing to pray with you. God's Word declares, If you will confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. You need to confess. You need to announce that you are a sinner who needs a Savior. You need to accept the gracious gift of God, which is forgiveness of those sins by belief in Jesus Christ. You do that, everything else falls into place. So if you were smart before, you're going to be more wise later. If you had money before, you're going to know how to use it. If you were wise before, you'll become wiser. All because of the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, as we have heard your word, and Lord, I want to pray if there's anyone here this morning that has never opened their heart to receive you as Savior Jesus, I pray that that prayer would be offered to you. Lord, it's as simple as just inviting you in. Lord, asking you to take control, giving our lives over to your leadership, your lordship, and pray that would happen and that they would confess that to someone before they leave the doors of this church. And God, for the rest of us, Lord, those things that stand in the way of us really being sold out for you, we pray would be put aside. Lord, whatever it is, we pray that nothing would be a substitute for the cross. We thank you, God, that is the only way, it is the only fashion that we can have that graces us for heaven. We pray that you would bless us, Lord, watch over us, give us power and strength this week to preach your gospel to all who will listen. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to ask the Lord through worship to receive.